0: seeking hope. To you and my praises make your to my
1: Every single time. Anyone who knows me knows it's no surprise.
2: Power upon Lori.
3: We have Powerhouse in the house. Adam and his wife Kelly, they're going to share with us this morning. They're here from near Peoria, Illinois, and they've been sharing this weekend, and it has been power-packed. It has been full of life. They are living vessels of the, the kingdom and they are here to share with you something powerful. So you need to prepare your heart. Would you put your hand on your heart? It's time. It's right now that God's gonna do something. This, this hour, this moment is, is, is important in your life. So pull back the dirt, move it out of the way, let the spirit of God dwell richly in you, that it might stir up the entrusted gift of God that you carry. So God, I ask that the word would stir up the gifts of God in us like never before, the ones you've entrusted to us, that we wouldn't like let them lay dormant, that, that we wouldn't let them be set aside, but today that you would stir the fan and fan the flame of God in us like never before that you would cause us to burn brightly, that your word would come and ignite us in such passion and zeal like never before in the mighty name of God. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's give a hand clap to Adam.
4: Thank
2: you. It's an honor to be with you this morning, and we're we're excited about what God's going to do today. We've already seen him do some amazing things throughout this weekend, and... uh, it's just going to keep going from glory to glory. And so we're believing with you for uh, what God is doing. It's, it's really encouraging hearing Sandy's testimony of what the Lord did in her knees. Now, I wanted to share a little bit about that because we prayed for her. And on Friday, she felt a little bit better in her back, but nothing in her knees right away on Friday night. But then she came today and said, wow, this is what the Lord did in between that time and now. And so sometimes when you receive prayer for healing, it may not be right away, Don't give up in that moment. Press in for what the Lord has for you. And my name is Adam Moser and my wife Kelly and I, we live in a town called Morton, Illinois. It's just under three hours from here. And so um, we're excited about what God's doing in this area. We are the directors of a ministry called Innovative Faith. And our heart is to make the complex, simple And the supernatural, natural, and so we come alongside churches and individuals, and we help awaken the the things of God uh, in their lives. And so today, I want to share about the manifest presence of God and what that looks like. What it looks like when He shows up in our midst and does something spectacular and amazing. And so we're going to share some testimonies that will awaken your hearts, maybe even put your minds a little bit on tilt of some of the things that the Lord has done in the miraculous and give you hope for what he's wanting to do in your region, in your church, in your life by you stretching out your hand and being faithful to see the Lord work powerfully. And so it's interesting we we have had this conversation with different friends of ours and different ministers about what the manifest presence of God is and there's confusion sometimes because we uh, know about the omnipresence of God, and sometimes we get His presence confused of His omnipresence versus His manifest presence. And so, um, I believe that there is a discernible difference between the manifest presence of God and His omnipresence. And we're going to look through the scriptures. I'm going to provide a biblical basis for that. We're going to... uh, share some stories about His manifest presence showing up, and then we're going to look at what our role is in welcoming His manifest presence. So this is not just uh, going to be Scripture, it's not just going to be stories, but there's going to be a part for you to play in the midst of this. And so our hope is that you're awakened in faith for God to move powerfully with His manifest presence in your personal and corporate lives. So the first part I want to look at is what is His omnipresence? And omni means everywhere. Uh, And so this is the attribute of God that means He is everywhere at once. He is here even when we do not recognize Him. And so there's a verse in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23, verses 23 through 24, it says, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a person hide himself in hiding places so that I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. So he's telling us he fills the heavens and the earth. That's an aspect of his omnipresence. We cannot get away from him. In Psalm 139, verse 7, it says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? So there's that aspect. We cannot go anywhere without God knowing But I'm going to make a distinction about His manifest presence. His manifest presence is clear or obvious to the eye or mind. Now, the interesting thing is, there may be times when you sense the Lord's presence, and there may be people around you that don't sense anything. Or, the way that you describe it, they may not feel it. My wife, often when she's in the presence of the Lord, she gets hot. If she said to you, are you hot? And you said no, then you may say, I don't feel the presence of the Lord. But that's not the way it is. He can show up in a personal way. Oftentimes, when we're asking for the Lord to make his presence clear, one of the ways that he does that is by his peace. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So that peace section that we see in Galatians 5.22 is often a sign of the Lord showing up in our midst. And I've heard it said that the enemy can't counterfeit what God is doing. So he can't counterfeit the love of God. He can't counterfeit the peace of God. So when you sense the peace of God, there are going to be times in your life where you're Understanding that, God, you've given me peace to do this, but you actually may be a little bit fearful of stepping out, but God has given you peace. And so you need to know in your inner man when his his presence is giving you that guidance and that peace. So the manifest presence, it's when his presence is made manifest. It's clear and convincing as a visitation of his presence on the earth. That means that we can experience through our senses. So there are times, and we're going to share some stories, there are people that have visibly seen the manifest presence of God. They'll see a mist. They'll see a cloud. There are um, stories of a glory cloud coming in in the midst of His people. There are times that an aroma of heaven can come, and you can smell it. Sometimes it's a spiritual smell. Kelly will ask me sometimes. She'll say, do you smell that? Wondering if it is a spiritual smell that she's smelling, because sometimes that isn't always uh, we're talking about the manifest presence of God, but there can be even uh, a smell that you can smell spiritually that's demonic. You could smell things that are foul, and that you were recognizing and discerning something in the spirit that God is doing it in that way. We can feel the weight of his glory. We can feel it on our shoulders at times, and I've been in Uh, meetings where I just sensed the weight of his glory. Now, I wasn't pushed to the ground. There are times that his presence can make us just lay on the ground, but there are other times where we can feel just the weight of his glory. So the manifest presence of God is a way that he causes awareness of his nearness. There's a word that actually isn't in the Bible. I thought that it was but it's the Shekinah presence of God. And it was used by Jewish rabbis. They use this term that's derived from a Hebrew word, which means he caused to dwell. And so there are... other things that have happened, I know people that have been in meetings that they've seen jewels fall from heaven. Now that may put your head on tilt. That may put you in a place of unbelief. A friend of mine was in a meeting and these jewels fell from heaven and he gave me one. Kelly was like, "We should have brought our jewel. We have it in like this little jewelry box at our house." There are times that the oil, there are people's Bibles that have been filled with oil and they just pour out oil. Why does God do that? I don't know, but it's one of the ways that he wants to show himself in a manifest way. There are people that get gold dust on their hands or they'll see it floating in the air. There's so many different ways that he wants to, to move and show himself. I came across this quote by a guy named Tommy Tenney. He wrote in a book, God's Favorite House, that much of what we experience in public worship gatherings is God's grace, not his manifest presence and glory. And many have become satisfied with his abiding, his abiding presence and have long lost the hunger for his manifest presence. May not not be us. May we not just be like, oh God, you're here, and we're thankful just to kind of give a high five and shake a hand and say, bless you, brother, bless you, sister, and then walk on out. No, we want him to come in the room in a powerful and personal way. And Moses had experiences of this reality. We're going to share some stories of when we see some distinction between his Omnipresence and his manifest presence. And some of the things that happen that I love to read about in the scriptures because they're not just stories, they're reality. The thing that I I want you to grasp today as we share stories both from the Word and even some of our stories of where we've seen uh, just a, a few snippets of the manifest presence is we can enter right in to the Spirit again when we tell these stories. So don't just. Process them through your mind. Let them enter into your heart. If you have unbelief, say, Lord, root that out. I want to believe that you're moving powerful in the midst of your people. And so we see... God the Father meeting with Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3 and 4. So he's, he's talking with Moses through this bush that's not consumed, right? And Moses recognizes that this is a holy place. He takes off his sandals. This is holy ground. And yet he still has this argument with God that he's not a very good speaker. He's like, uh, d- d- I don't, don't, don't think I'm the right guy. And then he's like, okay, well, I'll... Have your brother Moses or your brother Aaron speak for you? And Moses was uh, even in the midst of being called by God in the midst of a very supernatural situation, he was like, I'll halfway do it." And he then becomes the leader of Israel and leads them into the promised land. Um, Now it it took a little time 40 years or so It, it was it was not as easy of a journey If you look at a map of what their their pilgrimage looked like It was not a super long journey even by foot even with two million people It was not a super long journey for them to make but that was the journey that they were on with the Lord now in the midst of that The Lord goes with them He shows up with his manifest presence Time and time again, and and I would even venture to say that he was with them the entire time. some theologians have said that the the cloud by day that was over the tabernacle and the fire by night was not just for them to be guided it wasn 't i mean that was the cloud by day was protecting them from the hot sun that was part of what was happening as they were traveling and the fire by night could have been warming them they 're in the desert like i don 't you 're living in tents that doesn 't sound uh, always really pleasant, but they had clothes that didn't wear out, right? And they had all of these things happening. And some theologians think that um, that was actually guarding them to some extent from the very dwellable presence that was in the Holy of Holies, where the the testimony was from. And, and God alludes to that a little bit. We see it with... God the Son being made manifest." So in John 1:14 we have about Jesus, it says, "The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus dwelt among men and women on the earth. So that's another way that the manifest presence came to being. And then we have the, the third aspect of it is in Acts 2. We have a wind from heaven that fills the upper room, right? They were told to wait until they were endued and filled with power on high, right? And so then they have tongues of fire that come and rest on each of them. There's 120 people praying in the upper room. Several of them start speaking in other languages, and they're declaring of the goodness and the power of God. And then we have Peter preaching and several thousand coming to know the Lord. You know, just a normal... Sunday afternoon. Uh, and so that was, the, that was the day of Pentecost for them. There was the manifest presence that came amongst them in a powerful way. I've heard people joke before. They were like, you know, Peter, he... He they talk about his shadow healing people, and it wasn't because like it was three o'clock and the sun was shining this way and they're like, I gotta get it on that side of Peter because his shadow's healing people. But the manifest presence of God was flowing through Peter in such a way that when people came near him, they were being healed. Just like the woman that reached out and touched the hem of his robe. She was healed. She just touched his robe. She didn't even have Jesus pray for him, and it power, he said, went forth from me. So I'm going to look a little bit more at some in the Old Testament, and we're going to dive into some of these scriptures and stories. So in Exodus 19 and 20, that's right around when Moses is getting ready to go up Mount Sinai, and God's going to give him the Ten Commandments. God tells Moses to not let the people touch the mountain to consecrate the priests and not even stare at it or they would die. I mean, it's pretty intense. He's like, hey, don't... It, it." Okay, so I used to be a mechanic and I weld every once in a while. You don't stare at welding. And so I'm like, you don't stare at the mountain where God's going to be or you might die. Like, I'm like, I'm aware that you can lose your sight. And just think that's part of what the glory of God was showing up. Moses and Joshua are going up. He's like, just have everybody else wait. And then they hear God speaking, and they were like, we don't even want to hear Him speak. You go listen, Moses. We might die just from hearing Him speak, not even looking at the mountain. They got, were so scared of the manifest presence of God. Is there a reality and a soberness that comes with it? There is. I was thinking recently about Ananias and Sapphira. So the, the church is growing in great power and glory and there's a soberness that comes when they lie to the Holy Spirit and they lie to the apostles. They, could, they chose to sell their stuff which was something they could do. People were doing that and they were sharing amongst themselves. But, and they could have even kept some back and been honest about that. But they said, hey, we sold it all. And then they, they kept some for them, themselves. And in the manifest presence of God, they were gone. They had died. Like, I don't, We don't understand that seriousness, and it talks about great fear filling the church, but there was boldness that came with it as well. In Exodus, we we have God speaking audibly, and the Ten Commandments are given. He puts them on these stones, and Moses is up there for 40 days during that time, Aaron's like, we don't know where Moses went, and and the people are like, we don't know where Moses went, and, and Aaron's like, why don't you guys come and bring me your gold, and uh, and so he takes this gold, and the way that it says, he, he turns it into a golden calf, and then they're like, here's the golden calf that brought us out of Egypt, and Moses comes down, and Joshua come down, and they hear that there's celebration in the camera. Like, what's going on? Moses throws the Ten Commandments on the ground, breaks them, stands in the gap on behalf of the people, but he finds out that they were worshiping a golden calf. And in just in that forty days, they're like, guys, I think we're done. You know, they they just completely gave up on they had already seen the Red Sea parted. They had already seen some pretty amazing things. They had heard God speak audibly. And they, they were like, you know what? Let's, let's worship this golden calf. So Moses confronts Aaron. He was like, well, I put this gold in the fire and out came this calf. That's almost how every translation says it. And I laugh every time because I'm like, that's not, how, that's not how you form metals. Like you don't just put them in a fire and then, whoa, look at that. A calf came. Like it just doesn't work that way. Um, but it's always funny to me. And yet in the midst of that, we have Moses going on behalf of the people again, receiving the Ten Commandments again. And that was what they called the Ark of the Testimony. So, with the Ark of the Testimony, it's something that then they put in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent where they met with God. They had a, uh, an outer court, an inner court, and the holy place, and the, the most, or the holy of holies. God gives instructions on, this is how I want you to build it. This is what I want you to do. He gives him instructions on what he wants the um, Ark of the Covenant to look like. He puts the tablets in there, and on top there was a thing called the mercy seat, and that was where the presence of God resided. Moses would go in and meet with God in that place, and That's significant because we're going to see what shifts uh, with Jesus here in just a minute. So we have that tabernacle. is that meeting place where God met with Moses and Joshua. He was there almost every time. There were times that it would say Moses left and Joshua lingered. Joshua was a man who was hungry for the presence of God and the power of God. In Exodus 33, we have these two things that happen, and we're not going to read it. There's a long section, and you can go back and look at it. But there's two parts that I want to just share briefly out of Exodus 33. Moses is having this conversation with God. God says to Moses, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses responds, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. And then the second thing that happens is that Moses asks to see God's glory more than he already had. It already said that he talked with him as a man talks to a friend, right? And God says, you can't even look at my glory. So I'm going to tuck you away in the cleft of a rock in this little uh, section that is hollowed out. I'm going to tuck you away. Turn your face inside. I'm going to pass by. So he passes by And what happens is Moses is completely shining in the glory of God. So much so that the people are afraid. They're like, what just happened? You, we didn't, they didn't have lights like this, right? He is completely shining, uh, you know, the way that in some shows where there'll be like an angel showing up and there's like light shining. Like that's what I picture in my mind. He's shining and they're scared. So they have him put a veil on his face Because they're scared of even Moses now because he was so close to the presence of God. That verse where he said, your presence must go with us and go before us. I think it's a reminder for us. Now, we understand that when we're born again, we get the Holy Spirit inside of us. He's dwelling. He's moving. He's powerfully uh, changing us from the inside out. He takes our heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, He becomes our comforter, our helper, our healer. He is the one that empowers us to do the very same things that Jesus did and even greater things because He's gone to the Father and He sent the helper to be with us. This was before all of that. And so we have this thing that happens from what I've seen at least three times in Scripture when the manifest presence of God shows up. In Exodus 40, verses 30. 4 through 35 we have this Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle He had already been talking with God he had already met with him he had been in his glory enough to where it's shining through him, and yet this glory cloud comes in and Moses can't even enter into the tabernacle because God shows up in a manifest way. We see this happening a little bit later with um, David's son Solomon. But we're going to look at David a little bit because David sang and wrote psalms about the presence of God. David loved to be in God's presence. And it wasn't just... David wasn't a a priest that was going into the Holy of Holies. And by the way, they used to have to tie a rope onto the priest's leg because they had already done all this work to consecrate themselves for their family on behalf of the people. But if they died in there, no one else would go in or else they would die. So they would drag them out if that were to happen. I mean, that's how serious it was for them to go in on the Day of Atonement and to offer these sacrifices before the Lord. So David is a man who who it says about him, he was a man after God's own heart. and. He sets up this tabernacle of worship. There were 288 singers and 4,000 musicians. Like, that's a lot of people. He funds this from his own uh, account, and it's it's a second tabernacle. So, the tabernacle, he brings back the ark. That's the story where David danced before the Lord. The ark had been taken away. It was in exile. He brings it back. He's dancing. He's uh, so excited. His wife is embarrassed by him, and And she was like, why would you disgrace yourself that? And he says, I'll become even more indignified than this before my God. And he's dancing as the Ark of God's coming back in. He loved the Lord. And he was aware of his presence. So there's still the tabernacle that they had the Ark of the Covenant. They set that up. That's where they did all of their uh, sacrifices. But he, he builds another tabernacle From what we can tell, it's near it, and all of these singers and musicians do day and night worship unto the Lord. And I think it's very possible that some of the Psalms were written in that place, because David was connected to the presence of God. In Psalm 1611, David says this, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. He was aware of the manifest presence of God. Not just the omnipresence. He talks about that in some of the psalms. But he's aware of the, the manifest presence of God. Because in the omnipresence, is this always true? We're, we're in his omnipresence all the time. But are we always sensing his joy? But his presence can come upon us in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of difficulty. He can give us fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. David entered into that place in an intimate way. In Psalm 27.4, he says this, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. So David loved being in the presence of God. I've heard this phrase that One moment in His presence, one moment in His glory can change everything. Sandy, when I was thinking about your healing earlier, you had talked about how we prayed for you and and that's true, but there's also the side, you went to the healing rooms recently and every prayer that's been prayed adds up to the point when the breakthrough happens. You don't know how many prayers it may take for a breakthrough to happen. It may be a one-step process It may be a journey. I've heard someone joke before that uh, the man that was filled with many demons, like Jesus took him through his one-step process, right? He was like, okay, you're delivered, and the demons go bye-bye, and then he becomes an evangelist. Like, not everybody has that. Sometimes that happens, and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes 90% of that happens. And then there's a 10% of sanctification. And working it out amongst godly people that are going to give you wisdom and guidance and love. Now I mentioned there were three times where the glory of the Lord comes in, in a way through a glory cloud. And we see this in 1 Kings 8.10. So this is Solomon he is building the temple on behalf of David's desire. God had said, "You know that's a great desire that you have. Your son Solomon's going to build it." So he builds the temple. Um, I don't have it in my notes here. I think it was somewhere between 130,000 and 180,000 workers. It took eight years. So it's like in a like mind-boggling, if you think, of what it took to build this temple. So he's dedicating this temple. The ark of God is being brought from the tabernacle over to the temple. 1 Kings 8.10 says this, And it happened when the priest came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand a minister because of the cloud, because for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And I often chuckle at this. I'm like, okay, so these are priests. Their whole life they've been training to do this job. They are Professionals at this, not in a bad way, in a really good way. They were professionals, and their job they couldn't do. They're on their faces because the glory of the Lord comes in their midst. Now it happens again in Second Chronicles seven verses one through three. So the Book of Kings, First and Second Kings, and Book of First and Second Chronicles, they have some overlap, but they also share other aspects of stories around. What was happening in those times. So, 2 Chronicles 7, verses 1 through 3, Solomon then he dedicates the temple, and this is what happens. Now, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Certainly is good. Certainly his faithfulness is everlasting. Now, I hope this is awakening hope for you. Not just like, wow, that happened for the people of Israel. There has to be that clickover of, what's that look like? today right now it's 2023 what's that look like when the glory of the lord shows up in our midst and so i'm going to share this there's a set of verses and you're probably familiar with 2nd chronicles 7:14 i'm going to share a few verses around that that shows our role so this is right after solomon dedicates the temple and then we have a role that i believe is ours to play in that and then Kelly's going to join me up here in a minute, and we're going to share some stories about the manifest presence of God. 2 Chronicles 7, verses 12 through 16 says this, Then a Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a plague among my people... And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house so that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there always. So it ends with that, right? And so he's talking to the people of Israel, but it doesn't end with that for us. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he breathed last. There was a a curtain that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. That curtain was torn in two, signifying there was no more separation. And when the Holy Spirit came and dwelled within us, when we're born again, we have that same glory that can manifest itself. It may not be the same as Solomon, but don't limit God. Don't say, oh, well, that happened back then. Like, that's, that's, even if you believe it fully as a historical fact, don't let that stop what God is able to do in your midst and even in this house, in your county. I remember hearing a story of a minister walking through an airport and the stranger turned around and he came and embraced him. And he said, why was it that you wanted to give me a hug? And he said, I've only smelled that fragrance when I've been in the throne room with the Lord. So when he's worshiping the Lord, he's, he recognized the anointing and the aroma of Christ. Is that in the Bible? Not exactly. The aroma of Christ is. What's it look like where we may be limiting God in a way that he doesn't need to be limited. I'm going to share a few stories of Azusa Street, and I've been uh, challenged by some of them recently. So this is a picture of what the Apostolic Faith Gospel Mission looked like uh, on the the corner where it was. And uh, it used to be a church, a stately church. They got really small, and then uh, in the the lower level was where they would bring their horses in, and it was just a wooden uh, uh, real basic. they had dirt floors, and then upstairs at one point, there were apartments and so it was up for lease, and that's where William Seymour started having these meetings, and the glory of the Lord showed up in a powerful way. Now a little bit before that, he had um, heard about. Some, some people that were believing in God being able to speak through people, through tongues, and show up powerfully in their midst. And he started doing that in their midst, where they were uh, waiting upon the Lord and showing up powerfully. And so, he had a pulpit that was made out of two orange crates. I thought that that was pretty cool. And what he would do is he would put his head in the upper part of the crate, and he would wait and pray That was one of the ways that he would start the meeting. He also had another orange crate that he would sit down and he would pray in the spirit until the Lord told him to take off this orange crate. And then he would get up and say, Lord, what is it you're wanting to do in the midst of of your people? There were so many miracles that happened. I'd encourage you to read some of them, get encouraged by them. There's a book that you can even find online called They Told Us Their Stories. And it's about people that were kids and teenagers during the Azusa Street revival. They were all living together, not all of them, but several of them were living together in a retirement facility in their 80s and 90s. Someone recorded their stories of what the Lord did in their midst. So one of the things that happened was there was... A glory cloud that was in their midst, and sometimes it would be thicker, and sometimes it was just like a fog, Um, but they said that you could move it around, but you couldn't capture it. The kids, this is how thick it was. It was on the floor a lot of times. The kids would play hide-and-seek in it. They would play hide-and-seek in the glory of the Lord, like I talk about sometimes how we get a little uptight about things. or We just need to have fun. Like God is fun. That's not sacrilegious for the kids to play hide-and-seek in the glory of God. And it's not just about, oh, Lord, do it again just so that we can be like Azusa. It's like, no, come with your presence. So there's the welcoming that when we hear about these signs and wonders, it's not just so that we're looking for that exact same thing. But we're saying, Lord, have your way. Whatever you want to do, come and do it in our midst. There's a place called Amalanga, Guatemala, and it was recorded by a guy named George Otis Jr. Um, He made this video called Transformations back in, I think it was 1999 when it was released. That's the the picture of of Amalanga. And and I'm going to share... Briefly, uh, they, there were four different communities that they talked about in this documentary, and it's one of the ways that the Lord is showing up on the earth that I believe is even greater in some ways than Azusa. And so Amalanga was a land that was virtually barren. They had, I think it was between like eighteen and 20,000 people that lived there. They had four jails that were full. There was alcoholism. There was um, a lot of people that were... Being, um, there were men that were beating their wives. There was all of this domestic issue. And it, come to find out, they were uh, worshiping this patron saint called Mashiman, and uh, there was a lot of demonic activity going on in their land. So there was a group where they started repenting of what the sins that had been done in their land. Like I mentioned, they were virtually barren. I think it was two protest produce trucks a month were going out um, at the time. And so they go th- through this process and the Lord starts to redeem this town in, in the middle of Guatemala. And their jails, they, I think their last jail was closed in 1989. They called it the Hall of Honor. And they there, there was no more crime. They didn't need jails anymore because they didn't have that happening anymore. Their land that was virtually barren became known as I think what did let's see if I wrote down what the name of it was it became known as the vegetable basket of the Americas what a name they at one point and this may even be higher now no so these are pictures of some of the produce going out that's a man's arm next to the carrots um, a personal friend of Kelly and I's her name is Rhonda Huey Matheson she. She went to Guatemala, and she carried around a carrot like this for six months, traveled around, and she went up to another leader, and she said, let me show you the size of your unbelief. Look at what God is doing in Guatemala. There were radishes that were huge. There were cabbages bigger than a man's head. It was huge what the Lord's doing. And they weren't like, God, we have really bad land. We need you to come and do that. That was just a byproduct of what he did as they turned their hearts Towards the Lord, and so that's just one of the signs of his goodness. that's why I say it may even be greater than Azusa because it, I know that Azusa sent missionaries all over the world, and it was the start of Pentecostalism in America. There was a big resurgence and it's affected around the world, but this is also redeeming and healed, healing the land too, and it's not just in Guatemala um, and so. There, one article that I read recently is that 90% of the people were born again. There's this sign as you enter, Guadal- in, enter Amalanga, and it says, Jesus is Lord over Amalanga. And there are, their businesses had names that they had dedicated unto the Lord. It was powerful what the Lord did there. I'm going to have Kelly come up, and she's going to share some stories. We had the opportunity to go to Fiji with a team there. And the reason we went there was because, like you're hearing about Amalanga, in Fiji, when we went in 2010, there was 22 of us, and we went because they have a Healing the Land team that goes around and leads people through a form of repentance and reconciliation with God, with themselves, with each other, with the land, and he's done amazing things. And so... And here's some of the pictures. We're going to share what they are here. Um, You can keep it on that one. So, Kelly, tell a little bit about your experience in Fiji and and why you brought this water up here.
5: Um, Well, let me just start by saying, when we were were getting ready to go to Fiji, I had just read that book about Azusa, and I was really impacted by the glory cloud. I was like, man, I want to play in a glory cloud. (laughs) I was really excited. And so I was really praying, Lord, I want to see a glory cloud in Fiji. And because I had heard that, not only would the Lord come into like their, like if we were in a church service and the glory cloud would be in the church, and Azusa it was just in the building, but in Fiji it would encompass the whole village, like a whole just think your whole town, and a glory cloud. And so I was like, man, I want to see it. <laughs> and so when we got to Fiji, I said, um, "There's a team of young adults that do that go into villages." Um, And do this ministry and I said have you guys seen glory clouds? I really want to see a glory cloud I've been praying and they looked at me and they said well, what color? And I said it comes in colors (laughs) And I said what colors have you seen? They're like we've seen gold. We've seen black. We've seen red We've seen white. We've seen purple and I literally was okay with just the white mist (laughs) And they said every cloud is different every cloud has different things that it brings And I just sat there, and I was like, I don't even know what to do with that. Like, I didn't know what to do with that. It, like, it broke my box of, I was, like, stepping out, like, ooh, glory code. And it was like, they just pushed me off the ledge with the colors. (laughs) So this village is called Nuku, and it's in the middle of the island. Like, it's um, very far. It's, like, four or five hours away from any water outlets. And this village has this stream, and some parts of this stream go up to about your knees. My knees, I'm short, so my knees. And it was pretty fast-moving. You could feel the current in it. This was their only source of water. And it was a rusty brown color. And the government had come in and said, you can no longer drink the water because people were getting um, tumors. They were going blind. Um, They had infertility. And they said, you can't drink the water anymore. It's just so bad. And so when they went through this process of just dedicating their hearts to the Lord and repenting and just... Becoming, you know focusing their eyes on him day 3 their water ran clear and that's amazing right so for for months and months and months after this happened the government kept coming in and testing their water and they kind of said you know can't you just can't you just believe that it the lord did this because this is what he's done and they said well we can believe it but upstream and downstream the water is still polluted. So when the water hits the border of their town, it goes clear. When it hits the border to leave their town, it goes rusty again. So, when we were there, this is the water from the stream. I just put it in the Fiji bottle because I thought it was a nice irony. <laughs> and after that happened, they had 50-year-old women start having babies. They had, um, they still get up daily at 6 a.m.
2: Either 5 or 6 a.m. And
5: pray for the nation. Mm-hmm. Let me just talk a little about the manifest presence there. I'm a feeler, and, can, like, my senses in the Lord. Um, that's how I register him a lot of times. When you walked into, you know how every city has, like, a welcome to that city kind of, here in America, they have like a gateway into their tribe. And when you walked into the gateway, the only way I can explain is that's what Eden must have felt like. So, like, picture yourself on a busy street. You hear the horns, you hear people talking, you hear kind of the hustle and bustle, okay? And instantly, you hear none of that, and you just hear nature. That's what it was like. You walked in, and there was a peace tangible, like, I didn't know what to do, I was like, I hear nature, and I hear, like, the birds, and, like, the water, but I don't hear anything else, because that's what it's like when you're in the manifest presence of the Lord, it was just all him, (laughs) it was, I just can't even explain it, and there was just a piece, I was like, I'm pretty sure this is the garden, (laughs) this is what it was like when they said they walked with him, the pictures right before this were a town called Ra, and it's on the coast, and their village was in a really dire part, dire straits. Like, um, we don't understand, like, church competition. I mean, we do understand that in, in, in America. But if you went to a different, like, if Adam and I were siblings and we were in the same household and he went to a different church than I did, I would never speak to him. That's how divided their community was. Their young people had rebelled and they were doing some pretty bad things. Um, They were, they had a statue in their village that would move on its own, demonically. So they had a really large need. And the biggest thing was, is on the coast, their coral reef had died. So they had no way to get food unless they had to travel and go get it, because they had no fish anymore. And they went through this process of just, you know, consecrating themselves to the Lord. And the Lord, um, there was a lady walking on the beach, and she saw a pillar of fire come down from heaven and hit their ocean. She said, it was like a big as a... (laughs) They're so funny. She's like, it was like this big as a refrigerator, and it looked like a fire within a fire. And it stayed on their water for about a half an hour, and then it went back up to heaven. The next day, their coral reef was completely restored. Now, in real terms, it takes about 10 years for a coral reef To come back to life and that's just sections of it so overnight the coral reef comes back to life and overnight they start getting fish they had not seen in their area for over 50 years and they were about this big the people who were consecrated to the lord would walk up to like knee-deep waters and the fish would just swim into their nets so they people heard about this going on from other villages and they're like we're going to go get some fish and they would they weren't consecrated to the lord they'd come up and the fish would swim away (laughs) um, I'll say just a little tag on that. The reason why the Lord is so good, when we ask them about all these miracles, right, it's amazing. We're like, oh my gosh, this is phenomenal. You know what they told us the most amazing part of God coming? Was the restoration of their relationships, the restoration of their families, the unity in the churches. That was the important part. All the other miracles were just a byproduct of his goodness, Because they never prayed for the coral reef to be redundant, You know, Lord, come and heal our water. That wasn't part of it. They wanted the Lord to come and heal them and their families and their hearts, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, let me just put this in in a, think about this. The reason we're sharing these stories isn't just to be like, oh, that's so cool. This is reality of the kingdom. This is real life. Like, in my head, I was like, I know the Lord can do amazing things, Right? When I went there, I was like, it's all been true. Everything that I've ever heard about the Lord has been true. Think about this. What if people came into your town at that open that says, Welcome to Walworth? And they instantly felt an atmosphere change. And they're like, What's going on here? Your town didn't have any more crime. Your young people were serving hard after the Lord. No one is sick. Think about that. Your doctor's, your doctor's offices turn into prayer meetings because they don't have any, any more you need. Prisons close because no one's there. This is the reality of the kingdom. This isn't just a pipe dream. Mm-hmm. And sometimes as Christians, we think, well, I hope it happens. I hope my neighborhood comes to know the Lord, but this is the reality. When his manifest presence comes, it doesn't just touch one thing, it touches everything. Because in these communities that the Lord is coming in this way, everything is different, down to their ecology.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: They're finding animals they never knew about before, their finances, their government systems, their police departments are all on the foundation of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about going to your work on Monday, and the first thing you do in, in your place of work is pray together. Because everybody's saved. <laughs> I mean, that's, doesn't that make you, whoa? Whoa. <laughs> I don't know about Susie. She's a pretty hard one. <laughs> but you know, all these people. <laughs> Poor Susie. I think there actually is a Susie. She's using that name. Um, I'll just give you a personal example, like in um, our church back home. We've had an increase of the Lord for about a month, a month and a half. And a couple weeks ago, the Lord came in such a powerful way. I thought I was going to die. I thought my physical man was like literally dying, and it probably was. He came in such a way, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't stand, but I couldn't kneel. So I just kind of laid with my front of my body on our kind of stage up here, like this. And all I could say is his name, Jesus. It's all I could do. And I'm like, Lord, I want this all the time every day. Because when he comes, everything will burn. <laughs> and I felt that. I was like, Oh, okay, Lord, start start refining me even more.
2: We're seeing it happen in churches and even Kelly was we were in a meeting that, where there was a refreshing of the Lord going on in Kansas City back in 2010 and 2011. And she wasn't receiving prayer, but she had pain with carpal tunnel, and she was praising the Lord. And then share your experience of just in the presence of the Lord, what was it that yeah, happened? you're we just
5: praising his name because like, some testimonies were going on, just like we heard that testimony today. And we were just thanking the Lord for what he was doing. And in the midst of that, my wrist started Um, feeling like they were really hot and I didn't have to get surgery because the Lord healed my wrist and I wasn't asking for that it was just a benefit of just being in his presence we were at church probably three weeks ago I had been having really severe knee knee issues knee pain and we didn't know why I mean it was intense Um, where I was just crying because I was like I don't know what to do it hurts so bad and um, we were praising the we were in worship and I was just you know Worshiping the Lord, and my legs went on fire, and He healed my knees, and I haven't paid since. So, again, why are we telling you all this? To ignite the fire that the Lord wants to do this. He wants to come. Like right now, I feel the fire of the Lord. I'm really hot. Because He likes you, you're His favorite. And I felt it the whole weekend, the growing of his presence and his power. He's wanting to do something here that's powerful. Powerful. And he's thankful. I just feel his thankfulness for you as a hungry people. Willing to say yes. And the, as you step into that, yes, He's just going to meet you in such beautiful ways. I saw a picture of the, the kids in your church and your young adult or your young people, your high schoolers, young adults, and they were like arrows, and I saw the Lord just shooting them out from your building and shooting them into the places of darkness, shooting them in places of. Um, of encouragement, shooting them in places of, of, to bring life. And I saw them just shooting these arrows. So, Lord, we bless the young people of this church. Yes, God. Every child, every baby, every young, young person, every young adult, that you're going to use them powerfully in their communities and their spheres of influence, that you're going to shoot them out, God, and they're going to bring deliverance. They're going to bring healing. They're going to bring change. You're going to put them in places of influence with influential people. That you're going to use them to turn the tide in their neighborhoods, in their friendship groups, in their schools. And people are going to say, they come from that church over there. And they're going to be used to draw people in. They're going to draw in not just young adults and not just their peers, God, but they're actually going to pull in adults. They're going to pull in their teachers. They're going to pull in their coaches. They're going to pull in their people in their neighborhoods, God. They're going to be so different that people are going to want to know why. Their attitudes are different, God. Their priorities are different. Their love and their zeal for you is different. So we just bless what you're doing, God. Put a seal on it, Lord. Put a hedge of protection around them and their families. And their hearts be obedient to what you're calling them into, God.
2: What I want us to wrap up with, and we're going to pray and engage with the Lord here in just a minute, is that there's a part for us to play in this. And I know we shared stories about Guatemala and Fiji. There are testimonies of this happening in America. There was an outpouring happening at Asbury and several other colleges and universities. There's, I've heard, I think, around 40 universities and churches right now that are experiencing a wave of his presence in a new way just in the last two weeks we're crying out for an awakening and a revival in america and uh in 2010 we were a part of a thing called the divine experiment where 12 churches and six ministries in our home area in the peoria area went through a consecration 21 days of prayer and fasting we shut down all the programs other than sunday morning service met together every night fasted, sought the Lord, prayed. It was, there wasn't an agenda and um, it was consecration. The challenge was to remove anything that offended the Lord's presence. Here you can see a group of the people. We would, there was a church in, in the city that didn't even, they weren't even participating. They said, yeah, you can use our building. One of our friends that was a part of it, he was on staff there at the time and they're like, yeah, you guys can, we'd love to have something for the city and there we were every night seeking the Lord. There were people that had religious spirits broken off. One campus leader was set free of a hidden gambling addiction and smoking that no one knew about. We had one family that left their TV on the altar. And it didn't mean that they'd never own a TV again, but if they bought one again, they'd be aware of what they were letting into their home. Anything that offended the Lord's presence, they did not want in that place. People got rid of movies, CDs, all sorts of things. So what is our role? This isn't about works, but there is a role of consecration that is our part, where we say, Lord, remove anything that hinders love, that hinders your presence. I mentioned Rhonda Huey earlier. She wrote in her book, Desperate for His Presence, that hunger is the currency of heaven. A friend of mine um, was at Asbury last week, and he shared this story that, that provoked me. He came across someone from Chile that sold their car so they could buy a plane ticket to fly to Kentucky to be there. And he said, not everyone needs to do that, but what does it look like where we're hungry for the Lord? This is a picture of Manchester, Kentucky. The Lord showed up in a mighty way in their midst. They were having crazy things happen with All sorts of addiction and drugs and corruption in their government. And so they held a march unto the glory of God. And 3,500 people showed up in this little community for the glory of God. I think it was 22 churches. And there's this stone that represents that. They held this march for the glory of God and saw a shift in things. That uh, my friend that talked about the person that sold their car... From Chile to get up or from Peru to get up to Kentucky. He said, When you're when you're full, you don't want to eat. So if we're filled up with other things in our lives, they may not even be bad things. If we're full of other things, our hunger for God will be diminished. And like I said, this isn't about legalism. But just ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything that you want to remove that may be an okay thing? It's not about sin, although remove anything that is sin. If there's something in my life that's getting in the way of you coming, in our family's life that's getting in the way of you coming, reveal that to us. And it's personal. It's not about comparing, well, you do this, and I felt like the Lord told me not to. That's not what it's about. It's about, Lord, what are you doing? That we identify any idol, any lesser or any hindrance that connect us from, from connecting with God in a personal and intimate way. And God won't add his glory to our idolatry. He just won't. So we take our surrendered lives as an act of living sacrifice and we ask him to pour out his presence in a greater measure. So that's going to be our prayer for you today. I'm going to pray that. I know Kelly prayed a little bit. And then we'll hand it over to Pastor Mike and Pastor Ruth and say, Lord, what are you wanting to do today at Lighthouse? So, Lord, we welcome you in a new way. We thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people, that you dwell among us. We don't want signs and wonders for signs and wonders sake, but we want you to show up in a manifest way in this place and beyond this place. Lord, even at Azusa Street, the fire department was called many times because it looked like the building was on fire and it looked like there was fire coming down from heaven. And whether that happens here and the fire department's called or whatever, that people will start funneling in (laughs) because they're like, I felt like I just should stop here. That this will be a house of miracles. This will be a place of glory. And each home that's represented here, that your houses will be lighthouses. That your houses will be safe houses. That you may or may not be ready for it, but there will be people knocking on your door looking for help. And you may say, silver and gold I have not, but in the name of Jesus. And you give them what they need right then. Lord, I thank you for the salt and light that's represented in this room, that your glory carriers are right here in this place. You tore the curtain and you dwell inside us. And you're dwelling inside us, longing to get out and to change lives forever. We say without your presence, we don't want to go on. So there's the reality of your presence within us that we're aware of, but we're asking for your manifest presence to come what Only do what only you can do. Thank you, Jesus.
5: We want more, Lord. Less of us and more of you, God. That your kingdom come and your will be done. We don't want just a visitation, God. We want a habitation. That you come and you stay. That we prepare a place, Lord, that you can come and stay. Lord, that the glory clouds and the miracles just don't have to happen in this building, God. They can happen in our homes. That your manifest presence will come into homes and into families, Lord.
2: Lord, we lift up the boys' home. We pray for your manifest presence to come and affect these boys that are being cared for by this family over here. We ask that you will come up in a manifest way and change everything in the way that they love them, but they'll also feel love and embrace from you in a personal and intimate way that they've never known before. Or if they've known and it's been blocked out, we just pray for your presence to come. make us hungry for you. You say that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. We pray for that hunger to be developed within us, that in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thank you, Jesus.
6: of stories today, Lord. And it stirred our hearts. I just want you. I just want you, God. In every aspect of our life. We just want to represent you well Lord we just want to serve you in all the capacity that you've created and given us to be able to we just want you
4: more Lord more and more of your presence more and more of your love thank you Lord more of you
6: Pray for the hearts of our people, that that they would continuously be turning towards you. Pray that their eyes would be open to see you, their ears would be able to hear you, and that they'd be able to embrace what you're doing in their lives, each of them as individuals. And God, I just pray encounters over them.
4: Amen.
6: Powerful encounters with you beyond what they've experienced, beyond what they, they think about even, God, that you would come amongst us and we would experience you.
4: Yes, Lord. Let your manifest presence be made known to us, Lord. Leave the altar open this morning. If you'd like prayer, um, we can pray with you. If you want to just come and be in His presence for a little while, we can, but just enjoy Him today. Enjoy His presence. Let Him fill you and move through you and touch you. Bring healing and restoration where it's needed. His joy in your Put your hand in your heart this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Go in his grace today.